0: Have you ever had a conversation with your vet about vaccinating intelligently?
1: Today's episode is a good one. A deep dive into vaccines between our trusted vet, Dr. Carlson, with Lifetime Pet Wellness Center and Anthony. We have a customer question at the end of the episode, so stay tuned.
2: This is Dr. Jim Carlson. We look forward to seeing you at Lifetime Pet Wellness Center. We have a friendly professional team and offer conventional medicine, dentistry, and surgery, as well as integrative options such as acupuncture, chiropractics, nutritional medicine, Chinese herbal medicine, homeopathy, and more. We emphasize fresh foods because you wouldn't want to eat processed food every day, right? Visit us at lifetimepetwellness.com, Instagram, or Facebook, or give us a call at 614-888-2100.
0: Welcome back, Dr. Carlson. Today we have with us, obviously, from Dr. From Lifetime Pet, Dr. Carlson here with us. Which, if you missed our uh, previous episode with Dr. Carlson, you can always go back and give that a listen. But if you have not given that a listen, real briefly, I'm just going to give you a quick, uh, quick intro for for Dr. Carlson. So he uh, he received his doctorate in veterinary veterinary medicine from the Ohio State University in 1993. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, because of his I would say dissatisfaction with some of the results of some Western traditional medicines. He began exploring more integrative mm-hmm. and holistic approaches um, as far as healing and supporting the whole body. So more or less is, is kind of the the origin story of, of Lifetime Pet. I would
2: say that's accurate. That's
0: pretty, yeah. Well, yep. <laughs> I mean, in a nutshell, right? So that brings us to today's topic of uh, vaccines. It's kind of, it, this is a tough subject. It's hard to know exactly where to start when we're talking about talking about vaccines. Um, but we get lots of questions in the shop in regards to vaccines, specifically for puppies. Um, so that's that's a pretty, it's going to be a good starting point for us, I think. But before we get into that, um, because this podcast is really meant to be a guide for the new dog owner on how to vaccinate intelligently, and more importantly, how not to over-vaccinate. And I think that's really important. Obviously, vaccinations right. are really important, right? And there's some really... Yeah, Deadly and you, things and you got, out
2: there. You've got a wide range of what people believe in. You have people who believe in no vaccines at all, and you have mm-hmm. people who believe in all the vaccines. And I think there's kind of a, uh, a good place in the middle,
0: right? For that. Exactly, and that's where I think uh, that's where I think vaccinating intelligently kind of falls in. But before we do that, I do want to I kind of want to give a brief history on on canine vaccines here in the U, United States, um, and specifically on DOI. So you hear me, you're, you'll hear me say DOI a few times during this, this interview. But um, what I'm referring to is duration of immunity. But I think it's a good, um, I just want to give a brief history because I think it gives a good kind of background for what your stance is on, on, you know, how you guys do your protocols and your vaccines at Lifetime Pet. So, so yeah, I'm going to go back to the ni- 1970s. Um, so in the 1970s, all vaccines, with the exception of rabies, the rabies vaccines were licensed by the United States um, department of agriculture. So USDA based on challenge studies that were done um, a week to a few months out. So I, I think the important thing there is they were, there was no long-term testing done then. Right. So it was just, they had tested a week out to a few months out as far as the duration of immunity. So at this time, all vaccines read on their labels, annual, annual revaccination recommended, meaning that all vaccines had to be given on an annual basis. The problem was there was really no, they didn't know how long these vaccines, this this DOI was lasting, right? So was it a week? Was it a year? Was it 10 years? Was it a lifetime? We just didn't know. So then vacs, um, veterinarians back then were vaccinating annually, which is kind of interesting because I think about you know, like pediatric vaccines and my kids getting vaccinated and things like that. And I'm like, you know, they get it, they get their dose as a kid and then they're good for another 80 years. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, what's going on here? Something doesn't quite add up, but
2: they, and of course the manufacturers didn't really weren't going to fight that either. So
0: yeah, well, we'll kind of get into that, but um, yeah, 100%. You know, in the 1970s, at the same time, there is a gentleman, a veterinarian immunologist named Dr. Ronald Schultz, and he's kind of like, uh, he's kind of considered the godfather of, of canine immunology. His team uh, began questioning this vaccine guideline of, of vaccinating every year, and they began researching the DOI of, of these vaccines. So his team started challenging dogs with the exposure to distemper, adenovirus, parvovirus, um, and they did this from anywhere from one I think, yeah, one year um, after vaccination to 11 years after vaccination. And their results, this was a small amount of dogs, but their results were every single dog was still protected. So even from one year out to 11 years out, they're still protected from that one vaccine. So based on that study, at that time, his team had recommended doing a going from annual to the triannual schedule. So skip ahead to 2003 the AHA finally decides to form a, a task team to investigate DOI for these vaccines, and they found that the core vaccines had a minimum duration of seven years. But interesting enough, they compromised and said, okay, we don't have to do these every year, but we'll do them every three years. Um, so it was really based on a, on a compromise. Yeah. And actually one of, the, one of the members of that task force team, Dr. Richard Ford from the University of North Carolina State, um, he'd come out and actually said, it's completely arbitrary. I will say there's no science behind a three-year recommendation. He's saying this because their research and their investigation showed a minimum of the seven-year protection. So, to kind of wrap this history up, I try to get through that as quickly as possible, but Uh, By 2006, Dr. Schultz and his team of of immunologists had completed studies and gathered data on well over 1,000 dogs, which repeatedly showed that dogs were protected well over three years and in most cases had lifetime immunity. I know that Dr. Schultz himself also, he only vaccinates his dogs with the one shot of distemper, parvovirus, and adenovirus, and none thereafter, which I think is is interesting because that's not what most people do, you know. So, anyways, I hope that that kind of— I was not aware of.
2: Really? Yeah.
0: That he did, that he vaccinated his dogs once— just one time. Yeah. 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 I don't know if he titers. We'll get into that.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does.
0: I would sure. assume so. Um so anyways, I hope that kind of sets a uh, sets you up for kind of where you're at and what your practice does um as far as vaccines.
2: Uh I, you know, and I, I like I said I'm not I'm not an anti vaxxer. I think that what we do is we like to start off with the with the puppy kitten series at least to get that base immunity going. And then for for dogs we'll actually do a titer at twenty weeks to gotcha. make sure that they responded because there there's a small percentage of animals that won't respond to the vaccine.
0: So when do you start that? Because there's like you have those you have the the antibodies that are still left from the mothers that are passed on from the right. mother sometimes. Right. So it's like a is it six weeks? Or is it yeah, sixteen you, weeks? I usually
2: remember. I mean the minimum minimum required or recommended I should say would be a series of two about three to four weeks apart with the last one being at 16 weeks. Okay. is is generally the thought, but yeah, but they often will start, you know, as early as eight weeks. And, uh, and of course, you know, the, the ones you get from the pet stores,
0: they've,
2: <laughs> they've started at eight weeks and given them every week thereafter, you know, yeah. that sort of thing, which, uh, which I think is a little crazy. Is but. there in a
0: dating there? Yeah. I system at
2: that point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Most likely, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of them, the, the ones that aren't managed well, have a higher exposure. The the, the pathogens anyways, like parvo and yeah. kennel cough and those yep. things. But we like to do that. And uh, and then from thereafter, like to do titers. So there, you mentioned the core vaccines. Mm-hmm. So they're core vaccines and non-core vaccines. So the core vaccines for the dog are going to be the distemper, adenovirus, slash hepatitis, parvovirus, yep. parainfluenza. Para influenza is kind of one in I don't know if I often consider it a uh you know, one that's a core vaccine but, but yeah. it's in there, you know. And then rabies.
0: Are these um, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Monovalent or is it like a combo typically? Usually usually together. Usually, usually together usually a combo okay.
2: vaccine. You can you can get them some of them separated.
0: Is there any benefit to that?
2: There's there can be like if we yeah. so so if we do a titer for a distemper, parvo and hepatitis, uh-huh. You can get the de- distemper by itself and the parvo by by itself. So Oh, I see. So say if you're you, you come out with a low titer, then for one of we're, those we're gonna for one of those you could potentially okay. tighter vaccinate for just you could one. separate it out. So you're not so honestly we used to do that, but it's we had so much that just expired that now we, we just boost or since yeah. we don't have we, we uh, the other thing is we also limited our our vaccine we took the lepto out we took the coronavirus out we took yeah. those so it's so it's a much simpler vaccine so we'll, we'll we just do the DAPP yeah booster yeah you know, with our titers if, okay. if it's
0: low um, oh so they actually they included the lepto in that or they did at one point yeah or you can
2: used to be like a seven way well because lep- the the adeno, the A two so the D A two P P the A two is considered two things. Adenovirus two protects against an upper respiratory as well as hepatitis.
0: But well, I just know the Lepto was. It's kind of a big one. Yeah. For some people. Yeah. Because it's got a lot. Of, I think it has the most set, uh, adverse side effects.
2: I, I think it's better now because they they purified the vaccines better. But there's some yeah. still issues with the Lepto.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Kind of depends on what your dog's doing, right? Their lifestyle and and. Yeah. You know what's what's the risk of I guess contracting that.
2: And and that's always a toughie because that's what we like to do is to look at the lifestyle, look at the look at the exposure, and try to minimize the vaccines. So because the, the and that's basically going to be the non-core vaccines, right? So like your Bordetella, your Lyme, your Lepto, your influenza.
0: Do you want to real quickly talk about like those? Like I think it should. I sh- I think we should touch on it, to, kind of like the parvovirus and the adenovirus and uh, what's the one I'm missing. Uh, Distemper, Right. just like the the seriousness of those three, I think that's why you know they're the core vaccines. Yeah, um, but most people don't know even what they are.
2: Distemper is it can often be fatal. It causes uh, neurologic issues and immune issues. The um antivirus is mostly the the hepatitis, which causes uh, liver a, failure. Right, and then the parvovirus is the one, of course, wipes out the small intestine. Those are potentially fatal viruses. So sure. Those. And, and then, of course, rabies is the other core. And that's can is considered a, if there's no vaccination on board and no, no treatment done, is 100% fatal. And should the parvovirus par- with the right situation can last, I, th- I think it's up to two years on in the environment, the right conditions.
0: So people come into the shop and they might have their dog out in the car or their puppy out in the car and they're like, hey, you think it's okay to bring my dog in the shop? You know, the, he's not completely caught up with all his vaccines yet. Yeah. What's I don't know, what's your thought on that? Well, it's it's
2: generally considered that last series of vaccines is, is when they're fully protected. So okay. so we'll yeah. And and I think actually I think Dr. Schultz said that that can last one. So I may have misspoken I think he said even fourteen weeks for that last one, but just how I've been brought up, I've just always done it at sixteen weeks. The yeah. last one is sixteen. So that's what I'm comfortable with. So we'll we'll consider them up to date at that point and then you they're they're protected against those viruses. But you know, a lot of puppy training classes will want them to start sooner than that. So I I what I tell people as long as the puppy class, who's ever running the puppy class requires the same amount of vaccines and you're looking diligently for any kind of issues like uh, you know, puppy starts spewing diarrhea. Yeah. You might want to get your puppy out of the, yeah. Yeah. Out of the room, use, you know. Use common sense, yeah. Or, or, yeah. But walks around the neighborhood, I mean, that can be dangerous potentially uh, because we talked about the, the parvovirus being out there for
0: potentially mm-hmm. two years, so. I guess you just got to weigh your risks right, because it's right. kind of also crucial like socialization, socialization periods, you know, right. for, during that time, so.
2: Not just humans, but other dogs.
0: You just got to be smart. What made me think of the puppy, when you're talking about puppy classes, I'm thinking of the... Uh, like Bordetella is one that a lot of boarding facilities and places are requiring. It's and in, one of and the influenza. least. Yeah. But the Bordetella one is like one of the least, from from my understanding, it's one of the least effective vaccines. Essentially you're, essentially you're, you're vaccinated for the common cold, right? For the dog.
2: Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I I think, I think there is some, it's not a hundred percent vaccine, no vaccines, a hundred percent. So that, that's kind of a, a, a toughie because uh, fatality from bordetella is pretty. It's not real common, right? And usually, it's much older pets or yeah. or, or immunocompromised get, pets, or they get pneumonia like that, or something from it. But it's more of a it's more of an inconvenience and hassle for yeah. the, the client to have to deal with it.
0: Well, the reason why I even the, yeah, and, and the pet's miserable, you know. Sure, the, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of um, pet parents that come in saying that their dog had. Like this year, I don't know if you saw this. We, there's there's a big uh, kennel cough like outbreak. At least in my eyes, it was because everyone came in. and was saying that like, hey, my dog's got kennel cough. He's in the car, or whatever. But it's interesting because almost all of them were vaccinated for kennel cough. From what I understand, it's kind of like a combination of, of like bacteria and viruses together. Just like it's hard to it's mm-hmm. hard to really create a vaccine for something that so right. has so many yeah. various parts to it. Yep.
2: Yeah. 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 Bordetella bronchiseptica and, and yeah other viruses with it we do require it well in our boarding side of it we do require that and require influenza Mm -hmm. which i don't like but yeah we have to you know when influenza the first influenza came out don't even ask me the numbers so hn you know h3 and and or whatever yeah yeah i i can't keep those straight Mm -hmm. but because there's two of them now but uh when the first one came out everybody was starting to require them and we never required it because it Never hit our area okay in, in, in at least in major numbers, and then right. they did they did studies in greyhounds down in Florida at the greyhound tracks, yeah, and found a huge number of them uh, were positive had positive antibodies toward the virus, so they had been exposed, With but none of them no had symptoms very really. very few of them had symptoms yeah so my point was, okay well why do we even? Vaccinate for this, right. so I never required it. And then the second one hit, and that one started wiping out kennels, and animals were dying from it. You know, they they had a high number of fatalities. So that's when I I started requiring said, it. So yeah, well that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I don't like it.
0: I mean, I think it's yeah. a, it sounds like it's a smart thing to do if it has yeah. a high fatality a higher fatality rate. When you
2: think of the vaccine, you, you, there are different components of the vaccine. So you got the component that you're trying to create immunity to. So mm-hmm. that might be a fraction of the virus or the or the bacteria. And then you've got what are called adjuvants, which they've tried to take out of cat vaccines because that's, you know, cats are starting to get uh, injection site sarcomas. And they right. think that that played the role in that.
0: Is that why they moved but, it? I've, there's this rumor that I've heard that that's why they moved it from the injection site from the back of the neck to the mm-hmm. leg. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they can't amputate the head. So you can head, amputate right? the so leg. So you can amputate, yeah. Yeah. That's that's legit, huh? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. kind of scary. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is it is luckily i boy i haven't seen I was just telling a client I haven't seen one of those for years and years and years so, oh good so thank you think always, that's something to do
0: with the adjuvants i like think so yeah they change yeah. something up there to- yeah they
2: they they changed the uh rabies vaccine from adjuvanted to a uh recombinant where they they cut a piece of the rabies vac va, uh, rabie's virus mm-hmm. put it onto a canary pox virus and that's what you're injecting so that one's The only, I believe that's the only modified live rabies vaccine that exists. The other, all the others are killed, virus particles. Yeah. So, but they're able to do that. The modified live means it's in there, you know, must be replicating, creating a better duration or better immunity. Although it's only labeled for one year. They do, they do have a three-year labeling, but we never, we decided after researching it not to carry that one, but. Well cuz they tripled the price. So they, they we're going to call it a 3 year vaccine, but yeah. we're going to triple the price. Oh, okay. And we saw on um there's a there's a network that we, you know, the medical network that you can go on, have a membership to, and we noticed that uh, there are a lot of comments about cats acting funny yeah. after getting it. W- with that in mind, we just decided not to, not to do that
0: one. What if so, I mean if you have like I don't know, since we're talking about cats I know we weren't planning on it, but like most cats are indoor cats. Like they're never really, I mean, their, their chances of coming across, coming across rabies are very slim and they're they're usually not being boarded either, you know what I mean? Or around other cats or, I don't know.
2: No, I, I, there, there are cases, you know, you hear the cases and we had one at one of the clinics I used to work at where uh, a bat got into the house. Okay. Cat played with bat. Bat (laughs) was sent to the state. Turned out to be rabies positive. It can't happen. It, it can, sure.
0: but it's, yeah. but It's, it's unlikely. It, but it, it is rare, but. Yeah.
2: It, plus you don't know, a lot of it is also protection to get, you know, in case your cat gets out.
1: We are so proud of our sponsor today. Our friends at Steve's Real Food who helped make the Fangs and Fur podcast come true. Steve's makes real food from locally sourced ingredients that enable you to give your dog or cat nutritional meals every single day with no fillers, no preservatives. Anthony, what do you like best about Steve's?
0: I like a lot of things about Steve's, but one is their long history. They've been doing it longer than most. The second thing is they use whole food and only whole food ingredients. They don't use synthetics. It's just real simple whole food.
1: What do you mean simple?
0: Well, when people look on the back of a bag of kibble, they see a long list of ingredients that most people don't even know what they are. You'd almost have to be a chemist to know. When they come into Fangs and Fur. I'll pull out a box of Steve's Real Food and I'll show them what's in their food. And what you see is beef, beef heart, beef liver, beef kidney, raw goods, milk, broccoli, and a bunch of other whole food, real food. And Mozzie likes it too. So, of course, I'm a big fan.
1: I know Anthony and I love their mission statement to produce food that is good for your pet and the land that they walk on. So come into our shop, Fangs and Fur, to learn more about Steve's from Anthony or visit stevesrealfood.com.
2: So so the other thing with those these vaccines too, so you got the components of them, you know, them, so some of those adjuvants have heavy metals and you know, mm-hmm. aluminum, mercury, right? You know, whatever, right? And and we pick, we we're able to pick that up on the nutrition response testing. We can find that often.
0: So and offset that,
2: yeah. A lot of a lot of animals come up with with uh, aluminum or mercury, and the, the and are they still the putting? They're still
0: putting still putting that into vaccines. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I read about and this a couple get, years ago, but. It's hard to get the information from the vaccine companies too. I, I'm I sure it is. I wanted yeah. to get the only one I know, and that's uh, the, we use the thimerosal free or mercury free rabies vaccine. And that's mm-hmm. the one that they used for the rabies challenge fund. Okay. One, one of the two. And I, and I like it. Yeah. It's they're They're in there. And so I have clients ask me, well, where'd they get that? I said, well, probably the vaccine.
0: That's but that's the, not, so the one that you use is not the one that's, that's paired with the canary that's the that's the whatever. cat. That's the feline. That's the feline version. So what's the dog version? So dog-
2: the the dog version is still killed, uh, okay. vaccine, but it's but it's the thimerosal free.
0: And that one you can titer for, but it still doesn't. Um, at least in the state of Ohio, or actually, it's by county, I believe, right? But with that, you can titer for it. But you even a, a positive titer will not. They'll still they'll still force you to not force you to take, but they still if you want to get your right. dog licensed through the state, you have to have that. Right, that three year.
2: Yeah, they they. That's the. I mean, the, the one nice thing is that the cost of the rabies titer has gone down. So Kansas, Kansas State's the only place that does it. Oh, yeah, I saw that on my um, last invoice.
0: <laughs> sent, sent to Kansas yeah, State. Yeah. So,
2: but that used to be like that used to be about three hundred dollars. It was it was crazy. So they came up with a better test uh, that they could do on a higher scale. Right. Although it still takes a month to get back. But you know that's used often for export to. Hawaii, sure. Japan, you know, different countries, uh, Spain, a bunch of the the, uh, the other countries will require it, but we still don't recognize it as something. Yeah. And from what I understand, I think Rhode uh, Island
0: is a first state. I was
2: just saying Delaware. Delaware. Is Delaware? was looking. Did they pass that?
0: I think they did. Because the, I think the hope was that it would kind of create a, you know, open the floodgates for the rest of the, the country to do the same.
2: So we were looking at as the state of Delaware, um, just what was talking about using a rabies vaccine titer in place of the vaccine. Yeah. So
0: So if your dog tested positive on the titer test, what should we? We should probably talk about what titer tests are. People, a lot of people. Oh, that's true. Most people don't know what titer tests are. As a matter of fact, they call it teeter a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the titer test. So what? What exactly is? What exactly is a titer test?
2: So titer. Titer test is a is a blood test, and what you're doing is measuring the antibodies toward that certain antigen or that thing that we're trying to vaccinate against. So, we typically titers are run for distemper, the uh, adenovirus two, which is hepatitis, and parvovirus um titers typically aren't done for the uh, for the non-core like lepto
0: and bordetella and those things. Is too. there a way to do that if you wanted to? Like you, you
2: can, but I I've, I've done every time I've done lepto they come out low. So here's the interesting thing about titers too though. So it was Dr. Schultz who came up with the idea that we could use those titers in lieu of the of the vaccine vaccine. Um he also so, so that was it. Could be, you know, you were hearing all kinds of things from manufacturers. Oh no, you can't use that. You can't do that. It, it, it they still there's breakthroughs, and he proved that you could, you could use that tighter. He also came up with some kind of. Although I can't find the information, I just heard it um, on uh, another recording about him. Was that he found a way to tighter the the mother, the dam. We call it the dam mm-hmm. when she's pregnant, and get her antibody level, and then that'll tell. He was able to come up with some kind of formula as to when to start doing the boosters on the puppies once oh, they're born.
0: Interesting. I I,
2: I yeah. don't know how to how to do that or yeah. where to find that or right. But this this man is kind of a vaccine genius. Yeah, and actually, the, I was going to say, you know, once they came out with that study, we used to do and originally we were, we were doing titers, we were doing it every single year. So now what we do is we do a titer. Oh no. The,
0: you guys are doing titers every year? Yeah, we were. Like during the annual vaccines or
2: Yeah, the okay. this was this was years ago. Yeah. Before the this new the new protocols came out. And I said, but well, still I
0: guess my point is that most I don't think most people were doing that. I mean, for most dog owners now that's a brand new concept. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh,
2: I I got the idea from uh, my buddy Bob Gaston down in Cincinnati cuz he he tuned me into that. So now we do, if you were techni- if the, if the dog was technically due for a three year vaccine, mm-hmm. if we do a titer, we count the titer as three years now. So we've been able to, we've decided to space those out and just count them like
0: okay. the same length instead of doing them every year. Does it matter where they test on that titer scale? From I-
2: what I understand from what Dr. Schultz was saying that any kind of response is a response. Right. Some places, like uh, we do an in-house, which is just a color gradient. If you send it out to Michigan State, you'll get a number, say 1 to 215 or something like that. And they arbitrarily will set a number as to, okay, anything above 1 to 16 or 1 to 32 or whatever is protective. But from what I understand, from what Dr. Schultz was saying, that any value you get back means that you have immunity there. You have what are called memory cells sitting there ready to respond.
0: I've heard this, even if they don't test positively, they still could have it where they B cells that remember how to create these antibodies. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you trust that, but I'm just saying that's a possibility.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's the one. So titers, if you have a positive number, Mm -hmm. you've got protection. If you have a negative number, that's where you just kind of have to draw the line. And that's yeah. where we say, okay, that's when we rebooster. But right. there could be memory cells sitting there in the body that just aren't producing antibodies. So if, if say, say to parvovirus, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you, you have a negative titer to parvovirus and your pet goes out and gets exposed. Mm-hmm. Virus enters the body all of a sudden those memory cells turn on and blam, you've got all these antibodies being produced yeah. to fight off the infection. Right. So that's so it's still, it's not 100%, but there's no way. The only way to truly prove it, is if you have a negative titer, the only real way to prove if you then need the vaccine is to do a challenge test where you would challenge them, then see if the titer comes back. But that's impractical.
0: So, so are titers, are you, ch- is it a... Is it a challenge? Like, are you exposing the blood to the actual virus or is it more of a, like, testing antibodies? Just,
2: just antibodies.
0: It's just testing antibodies. Okay. Which seems sufficient.
2: The thing that, the thing that bugs me is that the feline, so you can do a, a titer for the feline, but they're super expensive and they, they, they're used to, so we have an in-house test kit that we use for, for the DAP okay. for dogs. Yeah. But the feline went off, for some reason, went off the market. And that was a nice way of testing it, um, yeah. you know, less expensive um, so because you, you, I mean, you, you'll pay over over 80 bucks for sure. t- for one one of the antigens, just one right. antigen. And that's frustrating for cats because I'd love to have an option for cats.
0: Yeah. Especially just being like at their size, you know, it's kind of decreased that. Toxic load a little bit. Why do you think that, why do you think they took that off? So you can't, if if you wanted to tighter your cat right now, just there's no way of doing it or it's just really expensive.
2: You you can do it, but it's just really
0: expensive. It's really expensive. So with Dr. Schultz's research, I think he had, so he did, let's see, distemper, parvovirus, and adenovirus all had seven years DOI from the challenge. So exposing dogs to the disease, they were still protected after seven years the serology, am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Serology. So testing antibodies, this temper was 15 years. Parvovirus was seven. Adenovirus was nine. And then canine rabies was seven. Interesting enough, canine rabies was only three years with the challenge though, but seven years through the antibody test.
2: Yeah. They had the, that was interesting too, because I thought that test you're talking about the rabies challenge fund test that went on. And I thought it, I thought it literally went on longer than what it did until I researched it. And, but they did they did show well they had two they had two vaccines. One of the vaccines went off the market in the middle of the study. For some reason. Okay. Either either a you know, uh you got companies buying each other out and stuff. It could have been just uh, something that was discontinued sure. because somebody bought somebody or or it could have been just uh that they weren't making um the money on it or whatever, some financial right. thing I'm sure. So right. but they showed they showed so that first va- vaccine that one they it didn't it didn't the the trial didn't run right, sure. but with the other one the thimerosal free went and they they showed it could at least last I thought five years, possibly, I think it went to six and then at seven they started getting failure, of. Protection. I think at six years they still had eighty some percent protection, or, or I don't know something acceptable. I'm looking at it right that.
0: now. Says so uh, the goal of the rabies challenge fund charitable trust is to extend the legally required interval for rabies boosters to five, yeah, and then seven years by financing the concurrent five to seven year rabies challenge studies. That would be to nice. the University of Wisconsin.
2: Yeah, my I, the the concern I have the, is just that the manufacturers aren't going to want to give that that income up.
0: Well, that's, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I think it's funny in this article I was reading, they're talking about the sponsors of the AHA, you know, Merck, Pfizer, um, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, wait a second. There's a little conflict of interest there, you know, there's a financial reason to, to not want to extend the, I mean, even if you looked at like, why weren't they doing testing in the beginning, you know, when they're back in the day, when in the seventies, when they're doing these annual vaccinations, like why wouldn't they test longer than a few months Good question. You know what I mean? Good so question. I think it's kind of started then. Like, why wouldn't there, obviously there's some financial
2: Well, and issues, and, and when I first got out of ed school too, you know, that was, you gave the whole list to the client of all the vaccines that you, that, you know, you have for a dog or for a cat. And that's, it really wasn't looked at. Okay. What situation do you have? Right. Um, it was just pushed. Yeah. It was just pushed. And then, and then, uh, well, that's, so we really have to give Dr. Schultz some praise for changing that because, you know, we started, I mean, I, I think one of the big reasons, the two big reasons why it really changed was, and it had to, because you start seeing a lot of autoimmune disease in dogs and you started seeing the, the injection site sarcomas of cats.
0: I still think that you're very, very different than most. It, according to this article I was reading, it says 60% of vets are still, 60% of vets today still vaccinate more often than the AHA guidelines. So they're still vaccinated more than three times or more than more than uh, every three years. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a large number. That is a large number. <laughs> so that's why I was shocked that you were doing titers even way back when, you know, before it yeah. was a thing. I feel like it's like a thing now. Cause I have people that come in the shop all the time and ask me what, it, what's, what do I know about titers?
2: I mean, I think that was, I started somewhere around 2005, 2006. Yeah. That's when I bet, uh, met, uh, my buddy and that's when we both decided to go to the chi institute and learn acupuncture.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, I could almost guarantee none of my dogs growing up were every time. My parents had no idea what a tartar test was.
2: And our well, our dogs used to eat a lot differently too, you know. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I want to. Old... Don't get me on that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Some old roar. My my dad is feeding raw now though. Yeah.
2: Hey, nice. I
0: found a nice uh it's primals um, Pronto, because it's super easy. It's good. like frozen kibble, essentially. Well, I don't want to say that because it's raw food, but it's you just keep it in your freezer and scoop and feed kind of thing. It defrosts really quick because it's really nice. small.
2: Nice. So for those, Are you carrying that?
0: Those boomers, it's a good—we do, yeah. We carry it for a few people that just like the ease of it, you know. Well, that's a great thing. We have so many good options for, for feeding a species-appropriate diet now, you know. For most veterinarians, you're going to get the whole enamored with all the vaccines, right? But I think it's, an, yeah, I think kind of, you got to look at the, you know, is, is your, how much is your puppy at risk for some of these, you know, and the efficacy of these vaccines. And um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to make this easy for them to follow when they're going to their vet to get their puppies like vaccinated, making sure. So starting at, I can't remember now, was it six weeks? Six weeks was the first. You can. And then you're, you're caught up by 16 weeks. Yeah. You're done by 16 weeks. We are. Like I yeah. said,
2: I think Dr. Schultz said. Fourteen. I think it's fourteen.
0: But yeah. I just, well, I don't think there's any harm in spreading it out, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we try to go as far we try to go four weeks between each one. I don't yeah. like doing it. That's just us.
0: Yeah. But well, that makes sense spreading it out. Yeah. And then titering for the specific ones individually to right. see which ones they need a booster. Right. Because I think a lot of times people I feel like you don't even realize this, but I think most vets just they're just gonna they're just gonna do the booster anyways, regardless of the well, they probably aren't even titering, right? So
2: we still have a lot of people who have who who do the vaccine because it's cheaper.
0: Yeah. it's cheaper do it than doing a titer. titer, but that's crazy to me.
2: I think it's going to be a market-driven thing too, though supply and demand. If you if there's more demand as people start doing more of them, sure, then the I would I would hope that that would drive the price down, kind of like the rabies titer. Yeah, it you know, used to be whatever, and now it's yeah, it like three, that's like three hundred of the price or a third right. of the price or whatever, right?
0: Well, that's good to know. I think that's I think that's a good start. You know the importance of those core vaccines: adenovirus, parvovirus, uh, parainfluenza, and distemper. So, getting those, getting that that round of vaccines, and then you know doing a titer test for those individual viruses to see which ones they need the booster on. And then right. from there, you would just be doing a titer. What three years from that point, or maybe the next year? When would be the next time to do a titer?
2: We would do it if if uh, the va- if the patient was due for a one year. If if that yeah if the, if the DAP vaccine would have been a one year then we'll count the titer for one year. Okay, that's just we just and that makes it easier for us, but still allows us to space those titers out so we don't have to do them every year. And, that, and again, that's just what we do. And I don't know if you want to go over the just the the non-core vaccine. Sure. real quick, I mean, yeah, let's they, let's knock them out. They yeah. uh, so so the non-core for the. The dog we kind of touched on it earlier was mm. is the as uh, the bordetella, the influenza the uh lacto lepto, lepto. Lime. and 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 there there's some others out there in other parts of the country that we don't use here i think there's a rattlesnake one and there's some others there is we thought bordetella. of i
0: thought about doing it when we went out to joe because we used to live in the california Cotellas. and we used to we went out to where did we go joshua tree is yeah. that a real place i thought it was just a youtube spot <laughs> <laughs> i think they got their inspo from I'll tell you what. I'll be honest did with they? you. They did. Yeah, they, we got their inspiration. I think from Joshua Tree, but I thought it was very uninspirational. Is that the is that the right word? word? I don't know. It's too bad. But I mean, if you go to Yellow, if you go to Yellowstone, you go to you know, Teton National Park. You go these national parks like wow, this, this is incredible. And then you go to Joshua Tree, and it just looks like mounds of clay. I'm going to really piss some people off saying that, but it just wasn't my. Now we got a really good Airbnb <laughs> there um, that was really cool and. But this is why we, I think, oh, we did the horseback um, and the lady was talking about how they only have like a certain set. Maybe these weren't even vaccines. They only made a certain number of some. So you
2: could have like anti-venom. Anti-venom.
0: Type. Yeah. And they only had a certain amount, but it was, you know, within, it was too far away. By the time you could get it, your dog there, most likely they'd be dead. Uh, that's not, yeah. That's not good. It's a tough environment for dogs out there. Because I think it happens a lot too, that and mountain lions, another problem. We don't have to worry about that here. I don't think, I don't think there's (laughs) rattlesnakes here. Maybe, yeah. Well, I know the Lyme, Mozzie's never been vaccinated for Lyme disease. He's had lots of ticks, but I've also read that it's a a large amount, and don't quote me on this, but I want to say like over 90% of dogs that had Lyme disease didn't show any symptoms.
2: Most vets will test for it. It's in the heartworm test. Yeah. No.
0: Okay um oh so I guess there, he has been tested
2: for but though. but even if there's even if there's no symptoms yeah the there there supposedly is data that shows that they have a higher risk of getting kidney failure down the road, according to what what uh they told me at ideX I also have heard from people we'll, we'll do it if there's a real high tick exposure, yeah, um but I've also heard from other people that they're they're not convinced that it works because there's so many strains
0: oh, okay. of I didn't the know Lyme
2: that. which I didn't know either. Yeah. So
0: I know it's a serious problem. I know it's a serious problem with humans when yeah. humans get it. Yeah. Um and it's a hard diagnosis, I believe. Yeah. As far as knowing. I have, we have a couple of friends that have had it or have it, just didn't know for a long time. But it felt crummy, you know, for years.
2: Well, there's there's a, a vet that I I, I know some people may know his name, Marty Goldstein. <laughs> and I went out to his practice, you know, when he was out in New York. And I saw more positive Lyme test results than I had ever seen in my life. In New York? Like, yeah, like stacks. He's like upstate of the, New York? He He's like 20 minutes from Lyme, Connecticut, I thought he said. Okay. He's right on the border, over on the border. So a highly but, and,
0: forested area-ish?
2: um i I think it's got a lot of natural area, yeah yeah, yeah, but they said that they don't recommend the lime oh, really? at least at that time yeah there that's been a while I mean right. it's been well, when was that, ten years ago I went mm-hmm. they, they he's the one who told me that that they don't recommend the vaccine because of so many strains i i I don't know,
0: do you guys give it often or just no. kind of no no not very often at yeah, all. it doesn't sound like it
2: and any other thing is to so you got the so all these all these non-core got to be based on their their your exposure, right? And are you going to be able to pick up, you know, be able to determine every minute of your pet's life, yeah. and and their exposure, yeah. No, so at some point you're kind of it's a judgment call.
0: Yeah, I will say that Mozzie's uh, had lots of ticks in his day, and I don't think he's been tested for. Yeah. Apparently, he's been tested for Lyme disease, and I don't think he's had any issues with it. But I, you know, I think it's also being a I'm also very cautious about if, you know, I, we moved back here, for example, I remember we took the dogs to, uh, Glacier Ridge Park, which was just littered with ticks, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, gosh, we were pulling ticks off in for a while, but I think, yeah, it takes like what, if you can find it within, if you can get them out within 48 to say, it takes about what, 48 to 72 hours, I think is your time frame before they can transmit disease. Right. So I think, you know, just got to pet your dog. A lot. Make sure it has the ticks on them, you know. Well, the line the Lyme tick is pretty small. Yeah,
2: I mean, as an adult, it's maybe like three milliliters. Uh huh. It's, it's pretty tiny.
0: Yeah, but even when they start feeding, yeah. Hopefully, you can find them within that. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> it's just totally. it's a, a small window, but you know. Yeah, ticks uh, are na- ticks are nasty. They're no joke. So that's limes. That's the limes vaccine, right. and then lepto. Lepto you get from mostly so waterways, right?
2: Yeah, lepto comes from urine. It's okay. shed in the urine of infected animals, and there, there are about nine different strains that affect small animal, okay. uh, at least last time I checked. Yeah. It might be bigger now. Yeah. But the, the vaccine only protects against four okay. of those, and, and there's supposedly n- not much cross-protection to the other five. Okay. Um, so there so there's some issues with the vaccine, but I, I and depending on two, who you talk to, you know, there's, there's a phase of natural immunity right. when a disease comes on that it's over time, the organisms that it's so, so your, your pets, dogs or cats or humans or whatever it's trying to infect, they're going to start mounting resistance to it. The disease is going to naturally taper away. So you have these people argue about, okay, is this the disappearance or the lower numbers of of lepto or some of the others because of the vaccine or is it, is is it that natural, natural just yeah. progression and then yeah and disappearance I don't know
0: right but well I think um, this kind of speaks to our point too of of vaccinating intelligently right and doing yeah. your doing titer tests and then yeah it might be a little bit yeah. more money but at least you're not inundating your your dog's system you're not over vaccinating them so you, yeah. you're still keeping their you know you, you still have a healthy immune system so yeah. that they're able to fight off you know, these other things, you know what I mean? Which I think is something I do. I mean, you know, I focus on our dog's guts a lot, you know, uh, making sure, you know, as, you know, 80% of their immune system is in the gut, so I'm making sure it's strong and healthy. And Oh, that's a good point. It's that's a preventative, a point. it's a preventative, so, you know.
2: But so back to leptos, so it's, um, it's carried by many different animals, uh, rodents especially, okay. uh, rodents, but the other wild dogs, you know, you, we have a lot of, Fox and coyote and yeah. things around here, and then you've got others that are carried by um, some of the other the the deer and and things like that. So and what what happens? If so they there, get infected. Some of them will attack the the kidneys. Okay. And go into, they'll go into kidney, kidney failure, failure, or some of them will attack the liver, and you'll go into liver failure. Okay. So so it is fatal. I mean, it can be fatal if if they get it.
0: But there is a possibility too of them naturally. Combating
2: it. Some people say, "Well, it's it's got to be because of the vaccines." I I, yeah. don't, I can't
0: say right. whether there's not, but
2: right. All I know is if 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 I have an owner who's got the exposure, lots of the exposure, they're going to be out in the wilderness a lot yeah. around the you know ponds and, and and or there's a lot of rodents around. Then then I'll say, about. okay, let's let's definitely think about it. Yeah, that that's the one. That's the lepto was the hardest decision for me.
0: Well, I think we're talking. Can't, I can't remember we talking about this before after before we started recording or not but i think that's that's the one and you can tell me if i'm wrong but i think that's the one with the most adverse side effects registered is the lepto vaccine yeah so there is there is some risk for sure yeah yeah
2: honestly i've I've, lately we've seen more reactions with the influenza vaccine well i think that's up up there too yeah
0: well essentially you should never really vaccinate an unhealthy animal anyways right like that's kind of right happens all the time right well i think that you know another issue and I don't know what kind of experience you have with this, but a lot of, I know a lot of, there's been a lot of situations where dogs and, and some cats are, are vaccinated during times of surgery. So when the dog is already under a lot of duress, then they're vaccinating on top yeah. of that, which can, you know, I don't, we never do that. I think, yeah. No, I know yeah. you guys don't. Um, but well, I think it's, I mean,
2: that's a practice we used to do long ago. Yeah. Years ago. Sure. But then, then you start thinking, okay, well, now I've got this animal under anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's starting to uh, have some problems. Is that because it's having a vaccine reaction or yeah. is that because I've got to do something with the anesthesia?
0: Right. Yeah.
2: So kinda. we just thought that is it just an unsafe process. So. Yeah. It
0: puts you between a rock and a hard place yeah, for sure.
2: And you have no idea. So yeah. We, we
0: Right. That makes sense. I mean, from that perspective too.
2: Yeah. I. I. So So. kind of to summarize, I, I love the idea of your uh, focusing on the good diet, healthy gut, and uh, you know, limiting the vaccines, doing titers whenever possible, and and we'll also we we separate the vaccines now, so we don't do more than two injectables at one time. So we'll we'll set up a, if there's more than one due for that pet, we'll do we'll we'll have them come back at a different date for a technician appointment. <laughs>
0: I'm well, making I'm making a face at my wife right now. I uh... well
2: because you get we get you know we'll we'll have history with some of these smaller dogs that's because that's another thing we didn't touch on either is that that vaccine is for it's for a hundred pound -pound animal
0: or yeah well i was while i was making that face was i'm gonna say it we we had actually gone in to get one of our kids vaccinated and i said hey let's she wanted to do i think a combo on top of a monovalent one and i was like hey let's do the combo and i'll come back in a couple weeks and she rolled her eyes at me and then I have a veterinarian that's like, no, I think spacing it out, is a good idea. And we're talking about our pets, not even our kids, you know what I mean? So no, it just, it just confirms I made yeah. the right decision there. I mean, what harm oh, can yeah. it do? You know what I mean? I mean, you're inundating their immune system with all this stuff. It's like, why don't we just kind of space yeah. it out?
2: We'll have owners say, well, she just did horribly after the va- last vaccines. Well, what'd she get? And they'll mm-hmm. say, oh, well, let's stop these four or five vaccines. Yeah, and We'll say, okay, well, first let's, we don't know what, was it just, that huge load a, of antigen and, yeah. and junk in those vaccines, yeah, is it uh,
0: was it a certain ingredient in one of those vaccines, and now you have no way of no way, of knowing or eliminating yeah it. yeah, so that's another good reason to kind of space absolutely. them out yeah. absolutely yeah yeah and pat myself on the back good job Andy. yeah good job. <laughs> <laughs> I knew something was right. trust your gut, that's the point of the story. <laughs> Okay, so good diet, healthy gut, uh, limiting vaccines and, and doing titers, spacing out vaccines as well. That's a good that's a good start.
1: Feed your pet food made from the freshest and healthiest ingredients found in Steve's Real Food.
0: Every Steve's formula is pH balanced and uses only 100% natural, high-quality USDA-inspected free-range meats and unprocessed whole and functional foods. Plus, it's loaded with beneficial bacteria from goat milk. See how much better your pet will feel after just a few weeks on Steve's Real Food. Find out more in the podcast show notes.
1: All right, so hopefully, um, maybe both of you guys can weigh in on this. We have a customer question about fasting or how many meals a day ideally should an adult dog be eating given no other health concerns? Any, any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I got I got big thoughts on that. It varies. <laughs> I'd say it varies. It varies. Go ahead. Yeah, I think for your your uh, otherwise healthy dog, adult dog, um, never fast puppies. Puppies should be eating you know three times maybe more a day. Simply because they can't get their the amount of calories they need in one day. They can't get from one meal. They're not going to be able to digest that one meal. So you want to spread it out. But for uh, an adult dog, I mean, I've seen. I I think it goes back to their physiology, the way, I mean, you know, our dogs are, you know, Canis canis lupus familiaris, which, you know, the gray wolf is the Canis lupus, so they're a subspecies of them. And I'm not saying our dogs are wolves, but um, a lot of their physiology is is identical. So, and if you look at how wolves eat, they gorge, you know, and then they fast for days depending on when their next meal is going to be or when they're going to be able to get their next meal. So from an evolutionary standpoint, I think fasting is really beneficial it allows them; it gives their bodies a break from digesting food all day, so it allows them to, you know, do things like fight off pathogens, cellular repair, um, resisting oxidative stress. It allows the gut to rest and recover. And pancreas. 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 Yep. Yeah. From producing In, enzymes. Uh huh. Helps boost the the immune system. Um, Promotes a healthy metabolism. I think really. It, it's an easy way to maintain their weight when they're on uh, when they're fasting or eating once a day.
2: Yeah, those are great points. I, I, you know the the other thing to think is that uh, the liver. One, of the livers, the liver does so many things in the body, but one of the things it does is filters everything from the GI tract. So, if if it gets overwhelmed, I I think that's one part of allergies is when the, the the gut gets the gut gets leaky, that keys off the immune system, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, starts overwhelming the liver and the filtration there. Um, so then I think that's when you end up getting allergies and, and other health sure. issues too. So, yeah. So you're giving that whole process a rest.
0: But just, I want to reiterate, no fasting puppies and no fasting cats. Cats are another one you do not want to fast. Your outdoor cat, just for an example, eats 12 to 14 times a day, so... um they they're not fat they're extremely efficient hunters, and they've evolved very differently um, Wait, how many times a day the average cat outdoor cat will eat about twelve times twelve to fourteen times a day yeah wow, same the crazy thing <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: um,
0: no, they are such they that. are so good at hunting they um it's just kind of their downside as far as being domesticated is because they're so efficient and it's they're so good at what they do, they're so specialized i mean they're literally just these little killers killing machines on four legs, but, you know, they've, they've specialized in in hunting. So, you know, they're, they're used to eating multiple times a day. They're also used to getting lots of moisture in their diet. Like they're not, they're not as adaptable as dogs are, as far as eating like processed food. It really affects cats way more just because they've all evolved from a desert dwelling East African cat that lived in a desert and had no other, almost no other resources of, of water than the prey animals they are eating, which are about 70, 80% moisture. So, but yeah, don't fast cats. There's also some cool alternatives. So you can also there's some good research out there about if you if you're not comfortable with fasting completely for say twenty four hour period, there's other things you can do. Just caloric restriction is a big one for like maybe like one day a week, just cut their calories by like seventy, seventy five percent. Um, can show some benefit there. Mm-hmm. Um, people do a raw milk fast. So you can do like goat's milk for a day without, you know, still giving them a really digestible food, still giving them some really good nutrition, but just keeping them um, keeping their their calories down. That's a great idea too. Yeah. Never never thought about that. Raw goat milks. I mean, there's, I always tell people like there's dogs that have EPI that are out there and all they eat is goat milk. It's all they can eat. It's all they can digest and they do really well on it. So it's what a complete source of food there's dogs. And I think answers actually does this. uh, They'll do, they have like a 30 day goat milk diet for dogs. Hmm. It's a lot of milk. Go look into that. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes Another point important point. Sometimes dogs fast themselves. Um, so people are like my dog won't eat, you know. I'm like, well, maybe he's just not hungry. You know, what I mean, just keep keep providing food, but also, you know, make sure they have fresh water and you know, if it goes longer than 2 or 3 days, I, then I'd start being concerned, but sometimes it's just didn't a natural Foxy
1: kind of like do that.
0: Yeah, you know, that's why before I,
1: we knew really what.
0: Was yeah, going on she with just her. she wouldn't eat twice a day. So then I was like, all right, well, why'd just eat once a day. And that was it. Now she eats her full amount of calories in the morning and that's it she's done you know and she's she's right, put on weight mm-hmm. actually
2: the other the, the other thing with cats i like to kind of go back to yeah. cats is the hepatic lipidosis too so cats if they that it accumulates in the liver mm-hmm. end up with liver you know fatty liver sure which is hepatic lipidosis and then uh-huh. they which can be fatal they go they yeah. go into the liver failure it happens right. at such a rate they go into the liver failure that's cats, it's a, cats you really yeah, it's a different
0: yeah it's a different story for cats absolutely Keep yeah. them fed, keep moisture in their food. 14 times a day. Four, 14, not, not really, <laughs> but if you want it to, you got time. That's, yeah. that's great.
1: So if you have a question that you want us to answer on our next podcast, you can find us a few different ways. You can send an email to danielle at fangsfur.com. You can find us on our website, fangsfur.com, or you can direct message us on Instagram at fangsandfurpets.
0: The views and opinions on this podcast should not be used as an alternative to veterinary advice. We always encourage you to seek the professional advice of your vet. Before starting a raw diet, we encourage you to ask lots of questions, do your research, and speak with a qualified vet and or canine feline nutritionist.